Greetings. This is a new introduction for this podcast episode number 260. It is currently March 2018, and a lot has happened. First, there have been a number of allegations about Santino Hassel, who's interviewed in this episode, specifically allegations about abuse, manipulation, and the hiding or concealing of the actual identity of the author of the books published under that name. The combination of these allegations have led to Hassel being dropped by their agent and by Riptide and Dreamspinner Press. This interview was set up by the publicity department at Berkeley, which is part of Penguin Random House. So I went to them to ask, did I interview the author of the books published under the name Santino Hassel? On 13th of March, 2018, Berkeley released the following statement. Our official statement regarding Santino Hassel. By mutual agreement with the author, Berkeley has terminated its relationship with Santino Hassel. Intermix will no longer publish the next two novels in the Baron series. Now, I did follow up to ask the question of whether I interviewed the author of the books we discussed, but I didn't get a definitive answer. I know that they and other publishing professionals were working under the assumption that they were representing the author and that they believed the person that they connected with me was the author of the books they published. I was not aware of any of the allegations about Santino Hassel when this interview was recorded and released. I do know this for certain, though. A lot of people were taken in by the deception, including me, publicists, editors, agents, writers, and readers. It is a painful mess, and I know a lot of readers are very sad and upset. For technical and archival reasons, I'm leaving this episode up, but with this new introduction. If I receive more information, I will share it in the show notes for this episode, number 260. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And now, here is the original episode released in August of 2017. Hello there, and welcome to episode number 260, whoa, of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Pitches Trashy Books. This is a podcast all about romance, the genre, and the people who read and write it, because we are so interesting and so awesome, especially you. You write, you listening, you are most excellent. This week, I am interviewing author Santino Hassel. We talk about his new series with Berkeley, starting with Illegal Contact, which just went on sale this week on August 15th. We discuss his inspiration for football romance, since he's a baseball fan. And we talk about his being one of the very few men currently writing romance. We cover how he got started as a writer, what writers inspired him to start and keep going, and how he addresses stereotypes of bisexuality in his writing. We also discuss his writing projects with Megan Erickson, and a special note for all of you who are fans of his work, we describe the perfect bait to trap him should you wish to do so. I'm kidding, that would be really creepy. Now, I also have a giveaway to go with this episode, which is really fun. This isn't a thing I do frequently, but this is really, really cool. I have a very neat pair of Barron's athletic socks. The Barron's is the uh, football team in his new series and a copy of Illegal Contact for one of you. There will be a giveaway widget in the show notes for this particular episode at smartbitchestrushybooks.com slash podcast, and you can enter to win. Okay, now we do the fun part where I talk really fast. Are you ready? Okay. 
Standard disclaimers apply void where prohibited. I am not being compensated for this giveaway. Open to international residents where permitted by applicable law must be over 18 and prepared to wear very nifty socks. Whereas upon participation in the contest as as foresaid, said participant shall nonetheless deliver hereunto all such paraphernalia as reasonably necessary and appropriate, notwithstanding anything hereafter. In the contrary, the contest shall nonetheless be conducted as heretofore described. Thereupon, do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. Now, moving on. <laughs> and yes, I had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> Some of the Patreon supporters helped me with questions for this episode, and I want to thank them for their suggestions. If you would like to be part of the Patreon community, help support this here podcast, and help me come up with questions for future guests, you can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. For monthly pledges starting with $1, you can help the show grow and become bigger and better, and you can help me collaborate on questions and ideas for future guests because, well, you're all very awesome. So thank you to all of the Patreon folks, and thank you to you for listening, uh, for sharing this about the show and telling a friend and for leaving reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you find your fine, fine podcast. I am very honored that you're listening. And by the way, if you're cleaning the house right now, your home looks freaking great. So nice job. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the show as to who this is and where you can find this fine music. We also talk about a number of books, and I will have links to them at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast, which is where you can enter the giveaway. And also we have an iTunes page at itunes.com slash dbsa. And without any further delay, let's do this podcast interview thing. Don't worry, I will talk slowly during the episode. Uh, my name is Santino Hassel. I am a queer romance writer. Um, I hope to one day write male-female romance as well, and I hope I do a good interview. <laughs> I have no doubt that you will, so do not worry. I know that you have a new series, with the first book being Illegal Contact, which comes out really, really, really soon. Really soon. Really soon. Can you tell us about your new book and your new series? My new series is The Barons. It is a... Uh, male-male sports romance. The first book in the series is called Illegal Contact, and it's about Gavin Brawley, who is the tight end for the New York Barons, made-up team, obviously, um, who gets himself into some trouble. He uh, has a public fight. He gets himself suspended for a whole season and put on house arrest. And he's pretty much sent off to the Hamptons to stay in his house and he can't do anything. So his manager, Joe, decides that he needs a personal assistant. So they interview a couple of people. They come across Noah. Uh, him and no Gavin and Noah both like clash instantly. Um, you know, Noah doesn't respect sports. He thinks they're just overpaid jocks running around on a field. And he's only doing this because he needs the money to help uh, support his dad, who was recently laid off. And anyways, they get into it in the interview, him and Gavin, and Noah up and leaves. But Gavin decides to give him the job anyways because he'd rather have someone like Noah take the job than a fanboy who's going to be all up in his business and like possibly like taking pictures of him and while he works out and stuff like that. So I'm sure you can hear my dog in the background. He's clearly a fan of this book. You've already <laughs> oh, got don't one worry. Very my dog loud. might be like running around here soon enough. I have a dog and two cats that might just 
burst in, so we might have to edit. Okay, great. <laughs> no, no, pets, I leave them in. I have two dogs and two cats. One will try to crawl into the sound box where my microphone is. The other will bark at, you know, random squirrels. So if your dog or cat joins in, that's like a total win. All right. So these two characters get into it in the interview, which isn't um, typical interview ideal no. behavior. You don't actually want to get into an argument during your interview. <laughs> not with the person that's trying to hire you. No, definitely not. Um, so the conflict is there like right away. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's because Noah, he really doesn't have uh, like he has issues with uh, men of power. Like, I'm sorry, men that have power over him. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> right. He's had really bad experiences in the past with uh, guys that were his boss. Um, he just gets really nervous and defensive. And he already doesn't like this person because it's a, he's a professional football player. He gets a lot yes. of money to just sit around. So he walks in with all of these uh, presumptions about this guy, yeah. some of which are probably true because this he he, he kind of has a uh, anger slash impulse problem. Yes, definitely. A little bit? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin definitely has some anger issues. I uh, believe it all stems from his past. He, you know, he grew up in foster care. He didn't have like, you know, the, he didn't have parents that cared about him. He didn't have like the privileged life that Noah goes in thinking that Gavin had. Like, you know, he's this spoiled jock that had everything given to him and his parents like trained him to be this football player. But the that's really, not how just, it is. But yeah, he just, Gavin really just struggled through like the younger years of his life, and he used football as a way to escape. I know in your uh, in your bio it says that you're a baseball fan, which is cool. What led you to uh, writing about football? Inspiration for it came from my friend who's a football coach, and just like watching how he is so like dedicated and devoted to this game, not only just because he's a coach, but also because he's a fan, and it got me really interested in football culture and I wanted to learn more about it. So I started like asking him a bunch of questions and I started following uh, college football, which is amazing. I love it so much more than actual pro football. Um, but yeah, just like the fact that he enjoys helping kids like, you know, get scholarships to schools made you know it's not like a d1 school or anything like that but he just helps them improve their life through a sport that they enjoy playing and i really like that and i wanted to wanted to write a character that like benefited from something like that so the series essentially came out of someone that you knew yes that's very well cool. i mean the the inspiration for Gavin, yeah, came from like like the things that he does with kids and like how he like helps them. Like he was, he would just tell me some stories about some kids that he knew that had it really rough and stuff. And then they like used football, and they, uh, you know, they still have to keep their grades up and everything. They can't just play football and get a free pass. But they used football to help them, you know, get to college and to escape the rough childhood that they had. And I was like really and when impressed you're, by that. Yeah. And, and when you're a coach, you 
learn a lot of intimate details about people. Yes, you do. <laughs> I won't go into the stuff that he told me, but yeah, you do. It sounds like the the people that he knew, pieces of them found their way into your books or, or little fragments of them. Yeah, I would say, yeah, little fragments of things that he had told me had worked their way in there. I try not to base like books and or characters in books entirely on people, but there is like little fragments of them in there. Right. Well, it makes them more real if there's connection to a real person. Yep. So one question I have from several uh, people who are part of my Patreon campaign is to ask you what led you to writing romance? Because I don't know if you've noticed. There's not a lot of dudes. I don't yeah. know if you've caught that. Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's, there's a couple of us. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you have a baseball team yet. I actually don't think you can cover the infield, but I might not be accurate. No, we definitely probably (laughs) couldn't. But what led me to writing romance is, um, well, I'd been writing since I was a teenager, you know, started out as a teenager writing like angsty poems and um, songs. I like wanted to be the next Kurt Cobain as horrible as that was or horrible as that sounds now. I don't know. He had a way with lyrics. He did. He was awesome. But so, you know, I mean, I started writing back when I was a teenager. Um, It was like angsty poems and songs. And then it progressed to whenever I was in my like early 20s, I moved on to like fan fiction and original slash. Out of writing all my fan fiction and my original content i enjoyed the relationships between people i enjoyed developing these relationships and seeing them get together so well once i guess i discovered a male romance that seemed like you know a place that i should go because these types of uh relationships they just like flowed out of me more naturally i was more interested in them and it just seemed like you know the place for me to go because I wanted to write about happy things that made other people happy that, you know, shit made me happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty much why I chose to start writing romance. So was there a, a particular book that really inspired you to write or was there a particular author you discovered or was it just sort of the, oh, I really like this genre? Uh, I started reading Jordan Castillo Price first. So her work really like helped me helped me decide what I wanted to do because I loved her voice I loved her characters that she created and I just really loved her work when I was uh, like a little bit younger and stuff so I'm curious what it is about romance that captured your attention to the point where not only did you want to read it but you wanted to write it too I mean that's a that's a big step what what is it about the, the genre that you really really enjoy that you try to put in your books well, the idea of uh, queer characters getting happy endings and oh, yes. in the books, that, that really is what I wanted to do. And also, uh, like, a lot of queer characters in books would, like, you know, die at the end and stuff. And I didn't, and when I was younger, and I don't want, I didn't want to write that. I didn't want to read that anymore, you know? I got tired of reading I can uh, see why that would be a total bummer. You don't, yeah. I mean... Everyone dies miserably in the end is a terrible romance. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I 
like romance just because you're pretty much guaranteed a happy ending. I mean, you're not guaranteed something like that anywhere else in the world, really. I mean, I know I can pick up a romance book and read it, and I'm going to see some characters that I'll like. Um, I'll see that they're going to go through some issues. Uh, but in the end, I know that they're going to be happy. And I wish, you know, the world could be that way. I wish everyone could have like a guaranteed happy ending, but you know, not the case. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Writing queer romance and giving queer characters a happy ending is like the, like the bonus beyond the Dan Savage. It gets better. Not only does it get better, but there's like real genuine happiness. Here are many examples. I mean, yeah, I mean, I hope that my queer readers will read and I'll, I hope that younger people who are, you know, still trying to f- figure out their lives will read and be like, wow, this is for me and enjoy it and mm-hmm. you know, get something from it. Now, I know that you write a lot of books with other people. I know you write a series with Megan Erickson. And I wanted to ask you about your writing process when you're writing by yourself versus when you're writing with another person. I'm presuming it's different, but uh, how do you make that work? Um, when I'm by myself, uh, it usually just starts with something that inspires me, be, you know, be it like, you know, the idea for a character or the idea for a plot. And then I'll usually go to developing the character's background and then working out a rough plot, um, then creating an outline and mm-hmm. trying to follow this outline <laughs> usually <laughs> it just work. like gets thrown away i don't follow it toward the end but it helps me keep my pace uh with megan we try to do the same thing together but except i'll take like a character and she'll take a character and we separately develop them and then come together and try to like fit all the pieces together and then we will make the outline together and hopefully stick to it. <laughs> and then all the actual writing we do on Google Docs and we like, like edit each other's work and go back and forth. Do you each take a character and alternate point of views from your characters? Yes. So the conflicts then are almost like almost real because you're, you are firmly located in your character and their motivations. Yes. That that is really interesting. Is it is it difficult to be able to see somebody editing you while you're doing it? Uh, no, I don't watch it. I leave the document and I wait till she tells me it's ready to go. <laughs> I, I used to be that. really shy about like writing sex scenes and stuff, so I would like hide. <laughs> I I get really hung up on researching minor details and like put a little bit too much detail into these minor details that nobody really needed to know about. But yeah, that's what I waste my time on. (laughs) Curiosity rabbit holes are the worst. Oh, hell yes. Never ending. ending. You're tumbling forever. (laughs) Were there there details about football or the um, illegal contact characters or their world that led you down a really long path of research? Football research uh, came mostly from my friend who's the coach and from one of my beta readers, uh, Cheryl B., who was like infinitely helpful. And thank you, Cheryl, if you're listening. (laughs) I did some like research on whether, you know, athletes got stipends in college and realized that they didn't until recently. And Gavin 
would have still been really poor, like throughout college and stuff like that. Found one story who, who is this college athlete? I mean, he had to sell everything that he owned just so he could stay in college and continue going to class and, you know, paying for books and playing football because, I mean, he didn't have any money to eat. It was like really messed up situation. I'm like, that's kind of messed up that they can give like they want you to come play this game for them. They make all this money, but they can't help you out a little bit. That's really yeah. pissed me off. Sorry. <laughs> oh, but yeah, they changed it now. So they give them some a stipend so they can make it through and not have to do something like that. I mean, see, see that's like one of the things that I did a lot of research on that, you know, I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> I don't know. It would, it would seem to it would seem to inform the motivation of the character. Yeah. It did ultimately like that, but it was like, it just really made me mad that these students got treated like that and stuff. But yeah. With, uh, with illegal contact, were there, was there scenes that were really difficult or really fun for you to write? Are there particular parts of the books that were very memorable for you? One memorable part for me is, uh, the time when Noah, chased a paparazzi off of Gavin's property. I just, I really like that scene because, yeah, you see Noah lose his temper. Um, and Gavin was like, was like, you know, what is this? And he's watching Noah do this and he like, yeah, he's like this buttoned up college boy is like, you know, chasing this paparazzi off my lawn. What's going on here? <laughs> and he just, he develops like I don't know. Gavin just seemed to really like that about Noah, like seeing the other parts of him that he didn't know about, and also because Noah was defending him, which probably meant a lot to him. Yes, it did mean a lot to him. So one one question I have um, is that you've mentioned that you have strong feelings about representing bisexual experience in your characters and smacking down stereotypes about bisexuality. What does that mean for your writing? And what are the stereotypes that you're looking to smack down? Usually there's, you know, these stereotypes that bisexual people are, you know, selfish and um, they can't make up their minds. You know, or if they end up with a guy, they're gay. Or if they end up with a woman, they're straight. You know, the word bisexual is not used a lot. As a bisexual person myself, I thought, you know, that I should represent this because you know that's who I am I should represent these people I should help them I don't always go into the stereotypes but I have them own it on the page and say it I like Gavin for instance he says it on page two that you know I'm bisexual what does he say um, I'm bisexual I my manager probably wishes that I was straight and <laughs> <laughs> be like you know easier for my reputation and stuff like that right because your characters sort of name that on the page, do you hear from a lot of bisexual readers? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, what What are their reactions? Because I've seen fan reaction to your work, and it is very enthusiastic, which is so cool. I mean, they love the fact that I that he's a bi character, um, that there's that representation there. Also, in Five Burrows, they love that you know Raymond's bisexual, and that Ollie's bisexual. I've tons of bi characters throughout my books so and for a reader to see themselves represented over and over and over again is very meaningful yes i hope so i hope it's meaningful to them 
Well, like I said, I have seen fan reaction to your work, and mm-hmm. it is so enthusiastic. What yep. have been some of your favorite um, responses from readers? I got a lot about Suffolk Boulevard, uh, how people could identify with Michael and the issues that he goes through in that book. Um, you know, like alcoholism, his tough family being closeted and a lot of readers just identified with him surprisingly also in strong signal with megan you know a lot of people identified with kai because of bad anxiety and stuff like that so just get really good emails and messages some a lot so it makes me feel like i'm doing something worthwhile (laughs) yeah i can understand that does it does knowing reader reaction um inhibit your writing sometimes does that make it more difficult to know that there are people who are really excited to read the next book or is it sort of like you know who you're writing for uh well when they're really excited to read the next book i'm nervous that you know i'm gonna let them down and not you know give them something that they want (laughs) at the same time though i feel like my readers are um are still so supportive of me though you know like when we all watched the Ritas together, they were super supportive. They were really excited. Like I felt like they were more excited than I was. Some were like, "Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> throw, throw." So I'm gonna throw up, and I'm so scared right now. I'm like, "It'll be okay. We'll, we'll make it through this together." Because, <laughs> yeah, because we, we all were watching it together in a chat room, and it was really fun. Oh, that is really fun. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Anyways, I'm just honored to have been nominated. You yeah, know, just being so new to romance and everything. You write a lot of books. You are a I very do. quick writer, which is a really good thing um, for your readers because I'm sure they appreciate that. Although I'm kind I, of a I, workaholic, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure there are readers who tell you to write faster, which I'm not sure how that's possible. Is that are you are you are you keeping up with the sort of output of your creativity, or is that like a, a skill that you've built to meet reader expectation? I mean, I try to keep up, but I've been feeling a little burnout lately. I've just been, for the last couple of weeks, I've been taking it easy, just writing a little bit, just until a legal contact comes out. <clears throat> and then it's promotion time. And then it's promotion time, yes. <laughs> Berkeley's been, like, really awesome with this whole book, with uh, the Baron series. Like, I met them in New York. They gave me socks. They bought me <laughs> They bought me pasta. It was great. It was a good day. I, I, I love everyone that I've been working with at Berkeley. Some, someone listening right now is like, all right, should I wish to set a trap for Santino Hassel? Socks and pasta. Socks and pasta. I'm a sucker <laughs> for food, you know, and socks. So, like, there's these, like, the socks they gave us are, like, super high athletic socks, right? And they come up to my knee. But on Megan, they go up past her like knee, up into her thigh, and they're like freaking just leggings <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I was like, you just wear a shirt and that, and you're good, Megan. Go. <laughs> <laughs> How did you two meet and start writing together? Um, we met on a Facebook group, and we just started chatting, and both started watching Twitch together, and you know, Twitch like you know where people broadcast themselves playing games or doing other weird 
stuff. And uh, we wanted to, or we had decided that we wanted to write a book about a Twitch streamer, and we decided to like do it together. And, and it worked out. Yeah, it's it's been awesome working with Megan. Uh, Cyberlove has been extremely successful, um, and I'm just glad that I got the chance to do it with Megan. And I hope that we get to write more. Yeah. Very excited about that. I don't know. I love working with Megan. It's fun. <laughs> I bet. It, it sort of shows in the writing, too. It shows that you're having a really good time. I hope so. What are some things you've learned from working with her as a writer? Um, I've learned, I've definitely learned how to promo and market more. Um, mm-hmm. I, I used to be afraid to do stuff like that, but she introduced me to my personal assistant, Kiana, who is absolutely amazing. She handles a lot of promo for me, and we actually just all hung out recently in Philly together, me, Megan, Kiana, and Megan's husband. It was uh, it was a really fun time getting to meet Megan's husband and to hang out with Kiana at the same time. It was fucking great. And we got Philly cheese steaks, which were awesome. So the third element to the I need to trap Santino Hassel being Philly cheesesteaks, pasta, and socks. Oh, and there's one more, comic book stores. Comic book stores. Yes. Okay. Video so games. And that works. Pot, if you have pot. <laughs> <laughs> just put all those under a box, a little stick, just wait. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it sounds like one of the things that you've learned from Megan is sort of the the business part of being a writer. Yes. It's a lot to learn, isn't it? Hell yeah. <laughs> before i mean i just like wrote and hoped for the best <laughs> just like throw it out there and wait somebody to grab it uh, yeah that doesn't work so well <laughs> but like you know she like helped me do a lot of stuff and um oh uh, like set up my like reader facebook group and um yeah my reader facebook group get hassled let me just drop that name in there you know if people want to come visit me Go for it, because that's where I hang out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will link to that. Do not worry. I'm just really grateful to Megan for showing me everything that she has shown me. There's things that I can't even remember that she's probably shown me. But she's been like a great co-writer, partner in crime, whatever you want to call her. And she's awesome. Yeah. Promoting a book is very difficult work. It's very hard work. What parts of it do you really enjoy? Is it connecting with readers on Facebook and connecting to readers online that you seem to enjoy most? I really like love the excitement of readers when they enjoy the book. You know how they'll like, you know, pimp it to each other and be like, hey, you should read this. And they'll show pictures of what the character, what they think the characters look like. And they get other readers involved and stuff like that. I just I really enjoy seeing stuff like that. It's like, you know, spreading by like word of mouth, pretty much. Also like the fact that they're like talking to each other and not just to me about it. Because it's not, not about me. It's about the book and like what they get from the book. Not my opinion on the book or why I wrote this book. You know, I stay out of reader spaces. I don't go to Goodreads and hang out and do all that stuff. But on Twitter and uh, Facebook, I love to see their excitement. It's great. It must be a thrill to see people creating in response to what you've created. Like, I believe this guy would play this character, and then this actor would play this character, and this is where they live, and this is what they look like. It must be really exciting to see that. 
Oh yeah, I love that stuff. It's great. People do a lot of fan art for the Five Burrows series. It's the best, right? <laughs> and it's fucking great. I love it. <laughs> Isn't like, it amazing? It is. I'm like, man, you, you guys shouldn't be doing this stuff for free. You should go get a job somewhere. Fan art is one of my favorite things to look at. It's it's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Someone actually did a um, fanfic for Five Burrows, but I haven't read it yet or anything. I need to do that. But that's... Maybe I shouldn't do it. I don't know. I'm on the fence about that one. <laughs> but yeah, I can understand that. But it's just really awesome that somebody thought enough about it that they wanted to write a part of it, too. I, I don't know. It was just really cool. That actually leads me to um, an, a question that someone asked me from my Patreon group, who is a huge fan of yours. Her name is Pamela. And she says, I love how New York City and the neighborhoods are like characters in the books. And I want to know if he creates actual characters out of whole cloth or are they creations based on other people? Either way, you're hella creative, she says. I, I try mostly to write like about people that I would see in the city, you know, like the guy sitting on the subway next to me or the guy that I see as I'm passing by the docks, like out there working or the the guy in the suit, like rushing off into a cab to like go to a business meeting somewhere. I try to like show all the parts of New York city and try to make it, it re make it realistic as possible and not just write about Manhattan. Like I like to write about the other boroughs and stuff because life really isn't like friends where everyone lives in giant apartments and doesn't have a job and hangs out in coffee shops all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pamela does Pamela does have a good point that the different boroughs have a different style and, and flavor. They are very distinct, especially neighborhoods and in, inside them. Um and that can be really challenging to write. What uh, what do you do to develop those places where your characters live? Is it basing them as much as possible on reality? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the city, so yep. I've been around all of these different locations quite a few times. So it's Staten Island was the newest one to me at the time, but it's like a whole other country. It is. It's it's, it's separate. It's its own all thing. its own. It doesn't belong to New York. It doesn't belong to New Jersey. It's just an island in the middle of the water that <laughs> belongs by itself. I mean, and the culture there is like really there's just just tons of it there. Like, be it you go from like Mariner's Harbor, there's it has its own cu culture there, or you go down to Tote Hill and you got completely different culture there. Yeah, like in Tote Hill and uh, South Beach, you have like the strong Italian-American vibe, which is pretty pretty cool. And then you go more north in the island and you have like the more diverse cultures up there and everything. And you have like awesome Dominican food, awesome Chinese food, whatever, Jamaican food, like whatever you're looking for, really, you can find it on the north side of the island. But if you want good Italian food, you go to the south part of the island I really tried to capture that vibe a lot in um, Fast Connection. I hope that it worked. I hope that if someone in Staten Island reads it, they'd be like, wow, this is exactly like where I'm living right now. Have you gotten a reader response like that? Yes, absolutely. Especially with the Jamaica Queens. That must be just the, the best feeling. 
It it is. It's really awesome whenever people give send me those messages and they're like, you know, I really like what you did with this. It feels like, you know, ultra realistic and everything like that. Or they'll say, like, you know, Raymond sounds exactly like one of my friends that lives down the street and stuff like that. It's it just it really makes me happy that people got what I was trying to portray. That is an enormous compliment, isn't it? It is. It, it really is. Um, I never really know if it's going to come out the way that I want it. I get really nervous, wondering, like, man, is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Are people going to be like, this is, like, trash. This isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I enjoy that stuff. So I always ask this question, and I warned you in advance so you wouldn't be like, no, not this question. This is horrible. No, not this question. Uh, what books have you been reading that you want to tell people about? Um, what I've been reading right now, um, <clears throat> well, I read most recently Permanent Ink by Piper Vaughn and Avon Gale. I got an advanced copy of it, and I fucking love that book. Full disclosure, they're friends of mine, and we're probably going to be trapped in an RV together, me, Avon, and Piper driving across the country, oh, and Roan driving across the country next summer. So you could expect some antics from there, but their <laughs> book is just fucking amazing. It's really hot. Um, it's about a 23-year-old graffiti artist named Poe um, who gets himself in trouble with the law. Um, <clears throat> his dad's got to bail him out and his dad's really tired of having to deal with stuff like this and he's like you know ranting about it to his friend jericho who happens to own a tattoo shop named permanent ink um jericho offers to give poe a job so that he can put his or sorry an internship to give poe something to do with his art besides like you know using it to tag up buildings and get himself in trouble so Poe reluctantly agrees to this and goes to apprentice at the shop. So first he starts off working the front desk, which he hates, and he's a real brat about it. Jericho and Poe clash about this a lot. Eventually he starts to um <coughs> sorry. Eventually he starts to like, you know, take it more seriously because he sees people coming in to get tattoos of loved ones that they've lost and to get tattoos that they love that are flawed fixed and they feel proud about their tattoos again. So he's like, these people are doing this for reasons that are huge. So he starts taking it more seriously. And the, the more he matures, Jericho starts to um, oh, become attracted to him and, they develop this like really great chemistry between each other. Yeah, but the thing is, is like there's a like almost twenty year age gap between Poe and Jericho. Ooh, age so, difference. Yeah, so they have this like you know this like sexual dynamic because Poe likes older men and he likes to be bossed around and stuff like that. And you know, it I just love it. It's really hot book. I suggest everyone like read it. it. It comes out soon, so everyone should pick it up and read it. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else am I reading right now? I just finished Coffee Boy by Austin Chant. Oh, how did you like it? 
I liked it a lot. I think the character Kiernan is fucking awesome. He's like this sarcastic, um, takes no bullshit, very blunt character. He reminds me of Noah, actually. Um, you know, he recently graduated. He is he's interning at a senator's uh, campaign office, not like the main office, like one of the little satellite offices that runs part of the campaign for him. And he started working there. He's hired on by one of his old professors, Marcus, who's like this like flighty, unorganized guy who Kiernan really just doesn't respect him because of how he ran his class and stuff like that. He like and knows that he's only working there because he's related to the senator. But Seth, the campaign campaign manager, um, who's like this like stick in the mud type of dude, kind of reminds me of uh, Caleb from First and First, one of my books. He's intrigued by Kiernan because he realizes, you know, that he's queer, and they like, you know, hit it off. They bond over like, yeah, they, well, they bond slowly over like, you know, ordering coffee and escaping the office whenever Marcus brings his infant daughter into and then <clears throat> Seth really tries to be like a really strong ally for Kiernan in the office like because Kiernan's trans like in one instance uh, a co-worker this lady keeps misgendering Kiernan and Seth corrects Ouch. her in front of the whole office and is just like oh. no. he's gonna make sure that it's a safe comfortable place for everyone but kiernan knows that like seth is also not doing it just for like a pat on the back that seth actually like cares gives a shit about him like and him being comfortable where he's working yeah and for it to just be a good place to work because you know no one wants to deal with that kind of stuff at work and they get together and they have hot sex and it was a really good read. i enjoyed it (laughs) exactly what you want in a book like that right exactly i want them to get (laughs) together i want them to have some hot sex at you know some point and be happy yay that's the best part yes it is (laughs) (laughs) are there any other books you want to make sure readers know about um treasure by rebecca weatherspoon I love that book. Me too. So much. I was once going to a a dinner, like a party, and I yeah. got there and it was five minutes early and I hid behind a plant so that I didn't have to go in so I could read it a little bit more because I'd been reading it on the subway. <laughs> and I sat behind a plant in a restaurant and hid uh, so I could read a couple more chapters before I had to go in and not read. Because, you know, reading at a dinner party is rude. Apparently so. Right? I, mean, it's- I never knew that. I wish I didn't know it now because I would just do it. (laughs) (laughs) But like seriously, I hid behind a plant so I could read a few more chapters of that book. That book is so, so fun. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I like burned through that book really quick. It was so good. I I really liked the scene at the end where it's like something had happened between the two main characters. I don't want to give away a lot of the plot. I want people to go read it because it's that good it's a really feel-good book so like alexis um goes to the laundromat where treasure aka trisha is going to be because trisha does her laundry there every wednesday at the same time and alexis knows this and she goes there and she has to apologize and make up for something so she kind of like does this grand gesture of playing the violin for her 
And I thought that was like really sweet. And I was like, man, I wish somebody would do like a grand gesture like that for, for me. And then I'd be like, really like happy, but mortified and like run away and hide somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things about that book is how the characters recognize each other on a very intimate level, almost right away. Mm -hmm. But that they, that the one character knows where the other is in her own sort of sexual journey. I believe she says, Oh, I'm, I'm looking at a baby gay. I I have, and and it sort of changes the way that she interacts. And I was like, that's so kind to figure that out so fast. Yeah. I like how she like tries to ease Alexis into her sexuality. It was really sweet. It's not like surprise. Guess what? You're gay. Surprise. Guess what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so I'm going to hide in this cake. Yeah. You come in and then I'm going to jump out of the cake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so get ready. I, yeah, I really liked how she called her a baby butch. I thought that was like the cutest. That's yeah, baby butch, not baby gay. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. But I just I loved not only the recognition but the kindness. Like, oh, I see where you are, and I want you to feel safe and happy, and I can see where maybe, perhaps, it's likely that you will go. That's why I thought the grand gesture was so important at the end because you know she was so kind with her and everything like that. Yes, and. Alexis had to like make up for what happened to kind of like separate them. I'm not going to say what happened because right. ruin it for people. They'll be like, you spoiled the book for me. <laughs> you told me of all the good parts. Exactly. That scene, especially with the violin, I got, or the, with the, with the, just the laundromat. Every time mm-hmm. they were in the laundromat, it was like, oh, it's emotional time. They're doing laundry, which is a really intimate thing. Like, you know, your underwear is just spinning on the wall right there. Also, like, you know, during the grand gesture thing, I just, I just couldn't help but, like, think of that old like 80s movie with John Cusack standing outside the window with the boombox holding it up in the air. I can't remember what movie that is, but that would be say anything. Like, oh, that's what it is say anything? Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember the name of it for the life of me. I'm like this reminds me of that so much, but what movie is this? <laughs> say anything. Now I got to go rewatch this. It's a really interesting movie to watch with God, has it been like 20 years since that came out? Does it age well? <laughs> it, you know, in a lot of ways, it really does. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's older. There's some parts of it that age beautifully. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed like a lot of movies are problematic when I rewatch them from like, you know, oh, yes. way back then. And I'm just like, yeah, no. And even some books, too. I'm just like, no, that's just weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I will reread a book and be like, past Sarah, you did not know things. And now I know them and this book is not good anymore. <laughs> exactly. I do that but quite often. <laughs> it's very hard when you reread something and you're like, oh, I can't enjoy this. No, Crap. I got to put this down. I need to get rid of this book now. <laughs> yeah. And your memories are not the same. No, they are not. It kind of like, but you know, it does kind of like also let you know that you've grown as a person too yes that you see these differences and stuff now yes it's like man if i wish i wish i would have known half the stuff i know now (laughs) well i i think is the more that you realize and you sort of unpack for yourself yeah the more you have to be um compassionate to the person you were because at least you're still the same person who's trying to learn to do better 
That's true. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, 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 it's easy to get mad at yourself, I think, for not knowing, but you are also the same person who said, I don't know and I should know, so I'm going to go find out more. Or I'm going to learn more. Exactly. I mean, you should always just try to grow as a person yep. and like better yourself. That's yep. how and I live. as a writer and as a person. Yep. As a writer, as a person, as just, you know, a functional human in society, you know, you grow and you learn from your mistakes. I know that all too well. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, a lot of your characters learning and growing from their own mistakes. Yep. Definitely. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Santino Hassel for hanging out with me and to thank him for this conversation. I had a really good time doing this interview, and I hope that if you are among the fans of Mr. Hassel's writing that you enjoyed it as well. As I mentioned in the intro, I have a very cool pair of Barron's athletic socks and a copy of Illegal Contact for one of you. And you can go to smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and find the show notes for this entry and enter to win. There'll be a little widget, enter email address. And I have a bunch of things to say, but I won't say them as fast as I did in the beginning. This is just the super important part. So, void where prohibited. I'm not being compensated for this giveaway. This giveaway is open to international residents where permitted by applicable law. You must be over 18 and prepared to wear some cool socks in order to win. And you should not taunt Happy Fumble, but I'm sure that you knew that. So head over to smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and you can enter the giveaway. The giveaway will close the following Friday of this episode, which if you are listening on the day that it drops, <laughs> drops, I'm so not cool. This is coming out on August 18, so August 25, I will be picking the winner. Then uh, prizes will be awarded and it will be very awesome. I will contact the winner by email from me, Sarah. And you know what? If you want to email me and ask questions or have ideas, Sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com works. It's always cool to hear from you. And if you would like to support the show, may I invite you to have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. You can help me craft questions. You can suggest guests. You can ask questions. You can get feedback. Sometimes I post really horrible, terribly embarrassing outtakes. Sometimes I post remixes of my dogs barking because they do that a lot when I'm recording. But your support on Patreon means an enormous enormous amount to me. If you reviewed the show online, iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app you're using to listen, or you told a friend, or you've just tuned in while you clean the house or dye wool or walk the dogs or work out. If you're on the treadmill, by the way, keep going. You could totally do like a whole other mile. You have so got this. Thank you for being part of the show. I really appreciate it. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This particular track is by Caravan Palace. I know you are not surprised. This is Panic. You can find it on their double album set, Panic and Caravan Palace, available on iTunes and on Amazon. And I'm really pleased that I didn't mix those two again, because in the past I have said Izon and Amatunes, which is just really embarrassing. I will have links to all of the books that we mentioned during this episode, as well as a link to his Facebook group. And again, and I'll win a pair of socks and a book, which is really cool! But in the meantime, on behalf of Mr. Santino Hustle, my cat, who is trying to kick over the microphone right now, and I'm holding him by one paw. It's very embarrassing. And everyone here, we wish you the very best of you. Have an excellent, excellent week.